We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast, Euros edition. Uh, I'm Paul, pausing in my pants, uh, fill, filling in today. Uh, I'm the obvious man for the job today because I'm available. And also, I like the Euros and I watched both games. Uh, with me today, as always, is Phil Costa. Hi, Phil. Hey, man. How's it going? Good. Uh, Phil brings the expertise and I bring me. So, a um, couple of games today couple of games yesterday that uh, we didn't get to get into because we didn't have Phil, but we're going to mainly focus on the games today. Phil and I had a big blow up beforehand arguing over which game we would do first. He won. He wanted to talk about the import of the second fixture today. So we're going to talk Belgium, Por- Portugal. Um, so, uh, yeah, this was a game. Um, it, it actually got ding dong. So, um uh, really livened up there towards the end as the game build, built, but it asks the question, did Portugal start too conservatively, do a little too late, start bringing on the attacking guns, um, and did they get it right? Apparently not. Um, I don't know how you feel, Phil, about players and stuff, but I hate Pepe, and so if he's sad, I'm happy, and... <laughs> I have a mixed relationship with Ronaldo. If you've got um, Roy Keane crying his eyes out practically because the world's greatest player, according still living, still playing, is Ronaldo and it breaks his Man United heart for reasons I don't really understand, then that's a good thing too. But uh, let's get into the, the setup, the lineup here in terms of how both coaches approach this. Um who got it right and who got it wrong, do you think, from the from the off, from the first half? I mean, I'm not sure it's that simple. I mean, Belgium kind of stuck with what they've been doing for the last, you know, however many years under Roberto Martinez. So we kind of knew that they were going to go for that three at the back. It's a very experienced three at the back, um, but it seems to have served them well so far. Um, Portugal, for me... 
conservatism has been a running theme throughout the tournament. And it, it's not really a surprise because Fernando Santos has been in the job long enough. Um, so we kind of know what he's about, what he does. But yeah, again, I just, you know, you could see the difference for me when, as you mentioned, Jao Felix came on, um, even Andre Silva, just to give them a little bit of something extra up front. So I think maybe he could look on his his starting lineup with a hinge of of regret, but I don't think it was as bad as him starting Danilo Pereira and William Carvalho in some of the earlier games. Yeah, but I mean, he definitely made a choice in not bringing on Fernandez. You know, you could build this as De Bruyne versus Fernandez, Fernandez in some sense. Um, and as we got into the second half, like you could see a scenario where it makes sense for Portugal to keep it tight and then bring on Fernandez later on. Um, which is actually how it played out, but by then De Bruyne wasn't on the pitch anymore, um, mm-hmm. and Portu- Portugal were chasing the game. Um, so there's, what would I say? Um, did was Portugal's reactivity? Of course, they wanted to play on the counter. In the first half, you could argue they had some of the better chances. Um, but at the same time, they the chances either came from a full-on counter or kind of set-piece kinds of plays. Did you feel the first half was playing out the way they really wanted it to, or are they still overly reactive compared to what they could or should have been doing? I think it was a very cagey first half. Like you said, I mean, Diogo Jota had a good chance that he kind of shanked wide and then Ronaldo had a a decent free kick saved by Courtois, but there wasn't really anything sort of clear cut. And like you said, it kind of felt like they were looking to play on the break a bit, um, particularly with Jota down the left. So for me, Portugal have the ability to be able to build through central areas and they just haven't done it enough. Um, I know Bruno Fernandes has been in and out of the side, but he completely stunk the place out when he came on today. Um, (laughs) There was one shot in the 91st minute or whatever it was. And I just looked at the screen and I said, if that was an Arsenal player, I would have thrown something at the wall because it was just beyond stupid to shoot in that scenario. And he just ballooned it into Rose Z. So for me, I don't think it's a Bruno Fernandes question. I just think get some players on the pitch who like to have the ball at their feet. Joao yeah. Felix, you know, Pedro Gonçalves is another interesting goal-scoring midfield option. I don't know, I just feel like they underutilised a lot of the talent in their squad and that was a shame because in terms of overall talent and depth, for me, they were one of the top three sides in the tournament and they just yeah. kind of watched it go by in that second half. I tell you what's a head scratcher for me is that even with the team they put out in the first half, I mean, look at their like Polina. Okay, he's a DM. He's a he's a he's a big lump who's going to keep you safe at the back. But you yeah. got Moutinho, who's an on the ball uh, player, a possession mm-hmm. player, a creative player. You got Sanchez, who's beginning to fulfill the... I mean, they're starting to talk about him being worth 70, 80, 90 million. You know, he's, he was the guy who lit it up in the midfield at times and, and was actually was the kind of personification of the counter. You got Silva, Ronaldo and Jota. Those are, those are their front six. Those, 
that is not a team that needs to sit back and counter, but it sit back, sits back and counters. I, I mean, there's a halfway house, but it seemed like they were in the quarterway house. And you look at uh, Belgium, and yeah, they had Tielemans in the midfield, but this was not a game in which I thought Tielemans particularly shone. He was just a midfielder. Uh, Witzel was just a midfielder. So, like, Belgium were using the wings and the wing-back approach. I don't really get Portugal in the first half. Given that given that level of talent, um, I just find it, them overly reactive, overly prog- pragmatic. I mean, am I wrong? Like, the, the centre there... No, no. Like, mm-hmm. They don't even need to bring on the names we talked about bringing on in the second half to jazz things up. Like, they got... A, it's just pragmatism using skilled, dangerous players. And I'm like, yeah, okay, it makes for a really dangerous counter. But, uh, and it all comes down to narrative or post hoc analysis, right? They, they get one of those countering goals or they get one of those chances later in the second half and they're geniuses. But um, when you don't, it looks like you tried to be too pragmatic, maybe too clever. No, I mean... Look, it's what you said. We've seen the counter-attack work for them. They scored that brilliant goal against Germany um, to open the scoring before they got smashed afterwards. And they gave France a lot of trouble on the break as well. So we know they can do it, but I just feel like they shouldn't just be limiting themselves to that kind of playing style. Because as we mentioned, they have more than enough technical quality to be able to sort of sustain... Some pressure, and we—I mean, we saw it in the second half. Uh, Belgium could could hardly get out of their their own third most of the time, but it, it just lacked a little bit of something. And I know they had some some chances with Andre Silva, Rafael Guerrero hit the post, and that could have gone anywhere, you know. So, in some sense, maybe one eye will look at it as they were unlucky, but another will be, you know, they just didn't do enough. And for me, I kind of lean towards the latter because. I know they had, what, 25 shots today, but they only had four on target, and that's just not good enough, really. Um, I felt like a lot of, like you said, their talent was being under underutilised, and, and for me, that's pretty criminal compared to, you know, who they've actually got on the pitch. And I thought, on the other hand, Belgium were were not so amazing. I've seen no. them perform much better in this in this competition, but... When they did have their moments, I thought they looked threatening. And for me, the two, the two hazards on the left were basically their game changers today. Yeah, um, and certainly uh, Torgren, he uh, he connected the laces with the ball on that shot. Now, it did come from the the Lukaku knockdown. So mm-hmm. uh, you know, credit to Pepe, who I despise as a human being, but as a competitor, he's quite impressive. Um, and uh, def- rolling back the years, defying his age. I mean, he really manhandled Lukaku. But you can only you can only get away with that for so long against somebody like a Lukaku, who's you know eventually the big guy is going to roll you. Or anyway, he created the space for himself in this and knocks it down to uh, Hazard, if I remember the play right. And Hazard just hits it through. The- I think there was a VAR check to make sure it was the right Hazard, but he absolutely mm-hmm. laced it. Um. I guess my question: uh, Do you think the keeper could have done better? I think that's. I think it's like it moved so much. And yeah, 
I mean, I think in that position, I'm just willing to give credit to the yeah to the striker. Um, it's you been know, like he's taken reviews, it. right? Or 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 whatever. Like slow motion changes uh, your ability to judge. I mean, yeah, when yeah, I first saw absolutely. it, I'm like, holy! Like everybody went woof, right? It wasn't yeah. just that it moved. Uh, in fact, most people couldn't see it moved when they said woof on, uh, I don't know who, I think it was Tom Warville or somebody, said woof on Twitter. And you're like, okay, that's just power. Um, and then you see the movement with power and you're like, Jesus, who'd be a keeper? Oh, yeah, like you shouldn't, it's a bit like getting beat on the near post. You kind of can't win. You, you can't get beaten on the near post. The P, or the the keeper should have got his hands to that. I'm like, okay, may, maybe, but Jesus Christ. I mean, it's just sometimes you just connect and the ball moves and yowzer. That was yeah. a yowzer. Um, it was a, a great goal. Really enjoyed it, actually. So, so fair play to him. Yeah. And then the other hazard, I mean, I got a question. Like, the, if Belgium are missing Hazard and De Bruyne, like they'll really be missing De Bruyne, but does missing Eden Hazard at the moment put them out that much? Does it solve a problem in the way in in the way you can't drop Ronaldo if you wanted to or, or not? You probably don't. Uh, not a problem going forward. Um, like you liked Hazard in this game, and he certainly seemed to be coming back into it. But I guess I don't feel it's going to be that massive a lot. Lo- I don't know how how much of a factor they'll be against Italy. Uh, based on this performance, maybe they'll just have to be have to do more against Italy than they felt they were going to have to against a reactive Portugal. But how big a miss do you think Eden Hazard is going to be? No, I mean for me, he he looked the sharpest he's looked in a long time today. I thought yeah. he looked trimmer. I thought he was moving across the ground much quicker. Yeah. I mean, the, there's he was a, also uh, moving to the ground much quicker. There was uh, well, <laughs> once or twice they breathed on him, and he was on the floor rolling around like back to his prime. So yeah, I know. I think you're, yeah, I think you're right that he was it a performance in which he felt like he was back more than he got a, had the chance to truly influence the game. I guess that's this me scrambling to to make a point that he's not that he didn't hugely change the game here, but but maybe it looked like he he was ready to. Yeah, I mean, look, we need to remember that he was out for, you know, a long time at, at the end of the season. So it's natural that he's he may be lacking a bit of sharpness. Yeah. Um, but just a general eye test today um, sort of gave me a bit more confidence in him being back into, you know, maybe not the shape that we remember, but... Um, who knows if he can ever get to that stage again but for me to just today he looked a lot smoother a lot quicker on the ball like you said there were a a touch of theatrics but you know uh, that happens in every game now so I'm not overly fussed about that I was just happy to kind of see him taking on players again and you know looking more like his his normal self yeah look it's only a great Batman movie if there are great villains and and we all pick our own villains um, Hazard does wind me up a little bit. Ronaldo and Pepe and Derilk, uh send my blood ple- pressure through the roof. All the like flapping over. Oh my God, Ronaldo's going to take a free kick, and it's like, you know, w- women grab their children and run for cover, and it's like it's another Ronaldo yeah. free kick. But um, 
I get, so I guess the other thing I'm interested in is this North London Derby uh, commemorative back three that Belgium has uh, with Vertonghen, Vermalen in the middle and Alder, Verald. I mean, as long as you don't get them running back too quickly um, and as long as Vermalen doesn't get his statutory yellow card too early in the game, um, how do you think they're going to do against... Italy rather than the reactive Portugal. How do you think they'll hold yeah. up under under that? I mean, it's it's interesting. Definitely. I mean, Italy feel a bit more direct, particularly when they get players like, you know, Chiesa involved, uh, Berardi, Lorenzo Insigne. There's going to be a lot more sort of uh, opportunity for them to push Belgium back. And that's what they don't want. You know, I think there's a combined age of about you know, touching the nineties in that back three. So, you know, it's, I thought largely on the whole, they did well today, particularly when Portugal were just sort of chucking in crosses at the end. There were some big headers from all three of them. And I think you kind of need that experience in international football. Um, I think experience can be overstated at time, but to just kind of see them through at the end there, I think they did a really good job. And actually, to be honest, I, Maybe a lot of people would have been underwhelmed by this game, but I enjoyed it. I yeah. thought it had a lot of uh, sort of drama. It was, you know, end to end at times, but there was also that feeling of sustained pressure from Portugal, where you're like, were they were they equalised? And then there were a few bust ups, a few Pepe specials, um, <laughs> you know, and that was just the, the needle you know? was real here. The like yeah, yeah, yeah. Portugal, the, the Portuguese manager had called this a, a cup final. And in a sense, it certainly was for them because they knew this was this was it, this was it. And for Belgium, it's a it is their golden generation. If they don't do it in this tournament, these guys may never do it. Lee Dixon said they there's 1,700 caps on the pitch between both sides. I mean, just think of what that means. That's nearly I didn't do the math, but just to pull a number out of my butt, that might be something like 70 or 80 caps on average per player. On, yeah. on the pitch that is astounding um in, so like it's kind of a couple of teams golden generation i mean the, all right there's a few few younger players on the portuguese side um yeah but but basically this is it for half of the portuguese team and for most of the belgian team in terms of sure. having a chance of going all the way so yeah and actually it was it was quite interesting as well because this is the the first time that they've failed to reach the quarterfinals of the European Championship. So oh, wow. um, it's quite a damning stat considering they were the holders. So which is, you know, it's a pretty dismal defence for for Fernando Santos and his and his side. So, but yeah, in general, I was really disappointed. I I kind of felt that they'd had they sort of had another level to go up. Yeah. Um, and they kind of found the formula towards the end of the group stages, mm. but just really underwhelming. Uh, I don't think they took any game by the scruff of the neck. And no. for all that talent in the squad, I think it was just criminally misused. And I think there will be a lot of questions asked uh, when they finally, when the dust settles back home. Yeah. Um, and I agree with you. It was a bit of a kind of a bit of a chess match to begin with, um, but a really interesting game. I think. For the non-experts like myself, if you can understand the premise of how a game plays out, like Martinez had said that Belgium will have to be very patient in this game. And I'm like, hang on, against Portugal, that's two very patient sides. This is 
this is going to be interesting in the sense that it could take a, it could be a slow burner, could take a while to build, but it ended up entirely ding-dong for the last 20 minutes. I, like you, I really enjoyed this game. But if you understand the premise, uh, like if I could actually understand chess, it would probably be a thrilling sport, but I don't. This, I kind of understood the premise of this game, and it kind of played, played out uh, in that slow-burning kind of wrestling with each other, trying to get, you know, like wrestlers trying to get, trying to get the hold or in a... Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And you're just trying to get that. And then it only really kicks off when the guy gets the hold and then the other guy's fighting against the hold on him. You see it in, in judo, you see it in wrestling. And it felt like th- these two teams were grappling in the first half. And then there's the, you always need the goal to break a wide open. And then there was the Hor- uh, Thorsten Hazard goal. So... Um, you, you hint, hinted and intimated at the Italian game. Maybe we should jump into the Italian game because uh, there's a kind of a, a thread through from from that to uh, mm-hmm. who's going to play them next time round and Belgium. So uh, that game was yesterday. So for me, it, yeah. it's turned a little murkiness. I do remember it was bloody great. And, you know, we went on to added extra time when the thing really cracked open. No golden goal. Uh, golden goal required but um i guess my my takeaway from the italy game game was overall it was a great tie italy looked really good but looked like without the goal you started to question how good they were and then suddenly in the added time they added those two goals they brought on chiesa and of course that that changed everything but what what you take from the italy game and uh, where where does that leave us going forward for the Belgium Italy tie? Yeah, I mean, I was actually watching with a with an Italian colleague of mine, and he was a kind of a bag of nerves, especially because Austria seemed to to grow into the game as as things went on, and especially with the the does disallowed do goal. Hand, does he do a lot of hand gestures? Oh, he does. He does the lot, <laughs> the gestures, the swearing. You know, it was. I had the full show, uh, which I enjoyed because I was just laughing at him the whole time. But it's kind of um, like Smellorama at the movies. They should be, like when you're watching an Italy game, they should provide an Italian to sit on the sofa with you, so you can get like the full effect, the full. That's it. And the glasses. Yeah, and I had exactly that. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I said as soon as it went to extra time, I said, "Don't worry, mate, you've got this," because I looked at the benches. And I saw the quality that Italy had, and I maybe didn't see the quality that Austria had. Yeah. And, you know, when you can bring on guys like Federico Chiesa, uh, Pessina is a really interesting midfielder, kind of number eight, Aaron Ramsey, late runs into the box kind of player. Um, and, yeah, that was the quality they needed, and it, and it made the difference because, you know, that was quite a slog um, for them to get there. And obviously they had the late scare with the goal, from Kalacic. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I thought it was a really good game. I thought Italy looked sort of their their accomplished selves. But as you mentioned, they did just lack that kind of cutting edge in the final third. And then Austria, I thought that was their best performance of the whole tournament, actually, because they'd been quite stale mm. up to then. Um, but I thought they really showed a lot of confidence and belief in themselves. And yeah, really good game of football, and and Italy sort of march on with their thirty-one game unbeaten run now, which is pretty ridiculous. Um, and they'll slowly be fancying themselves the further they get because they look a really good side. Yeah, it wasn't till that added extra time you saw a separation between the 
two sides. I mean, just Italy took a step forward and mm-hmm. Austria couldn't match them, maybe even took a little step back. They're, they're, they looked like they'd uh, shot their bull to that stage. I don't know if that's the same. Um, so any, uh, how do you feel this? Like Italy are, must clearly be the favorites based on the these the two games we've just seen. But if we take a step back, uh, coming into this tournament, um, I guess they would have been regarded maybe fairly equally with Belgium a little bit ahead in terms of favoritism. Maybe I got that wrong, but I mean, in terms of the who's the favorite, I think they're pretty evenly matched. Yeah. Um, like you said, based on recent form, I think Italy just have the edge, and yeah. particularly Belgium have a couple of interesting. Uh, sort of guys on the on the injury table, mm. like you said, De Bruyne, Eden Hazard. They'll definitely be wrapping them up in in bubble wrap yeah. uh, or cotton wool. I think is is the correct phrase. So, you know, just small things like that can really make the difference. But I think Italy, you know, they they just seem to have a, a, an extra boost that they can get on. I mean, Chiesa. If you've just played ninety minutes, you don't want this guy anywhere near you. I mean, he's relentless and. Yeah. Um, you know, just that extra injection of quality can can really make the difference. So I think for me, I'm just having Italy ahead, but only just because I think Belgium are very accomplished. They've been here, they've worn the t-shirt, they've got a lot of good players. Lukaku, even though he didn't score today, was was in really good form. So um, you you can never discount them. But I, in my pecking order, I've just got Italy edging them. Yeah, same. I think like they both have loads of talent. I think what I've seen with Italy is them playing the ha- with the handbrake off. Being a- like Belgium have more gears, that, but it's not clear to me, having watched them, that they can get up through the gears. Uh, they haven't really done it yet. They haven't really gone hell for leather and it all be cohesive and hang together. And we've seen Italy fully go for it, uh, throw away the handbrake and like just play their full-on football. Uh, at times it doesn't guarantee anything but to me they've shown they can go up and down the gears and belgium have shown us their gear stick but they haven't got into fifth or sixth and they may never so um i think the talent levels are pretty equally matched i think tactically belgium might be a well positioned to kind of hold italy at bay uh given their structure given the the three or five man defense and then hitting them with the wing backs so it, they could make it a cagier affair than Italy wanted. It'll be close, but for me, I, I, I've seen Italy uh, kind of uh, give it the full enchilada and and kind of use every square of the pitch as an attacking threat. And I haven't yet seen Belgium show they can they can go through all the gears. I guess that's my my assessment of the two of them. They're pretty equally matched, but Italy shows they've they can, they can open up the throttle. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I'm looking forward to it because it looks like a, a good matchup on paper. So um, definitely not going to complain if those two uh, face each other. Yeah. So we left um, the other game behind. Um, <clears throat> we saw um, Holland versus uh, the Czechs. Um, and uh, it, it felt a kind of similar game. Obviously, Holland again. They had the three at the back. Maybe it's a Lowlands thing at the moment. <clears throat> Playing with the wings. 
relying heavily on the blint wing. Um, and I think they can be kicking themselves because they were somewhat the protagonists in this, but they didn't do enough. And then the red card, which as soon as I saw it, uh, I don't know, my Arsenal gene kicked in and I demanded it be a red card because the whole Luis last man, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it seemed like a red card with me. Were you okay to that with that decision, given how monumental yeah. it was? I, as soon as no, I went no, over to look at the screen, I'm like, he's he's gone. For me, it was a clear red card. I mean, yeah. first of all, what do you learn when you're seven years old? Don't let the ball bounce. And he lets the ball bounce, and then Schick just kind of muscles him in a bit, and there was just total panic on, on Delict. You could see it. He was kind of falling over. Um, and then I think whether it was instinct or something a bit more calculated, it was a clear handball, and he... You know, it's a red card every single day of the week. Um, and yeah, like you said, as soon as he went over to the screen, it was clear that he was going to send him off. And for me, that was the correct decision. Yeah. Um, and like, it, it's probably a wonky order to look at the game. But then immediately, immediately after that, Dave, to make a decision on uh, structure of how they're going to play with 10 men. And often you see... Uh, that being the thing that gets a team to play more directly because they'd been a bit cagey in their build-up, I felt, uh, Holland. I mean, it's their way. It's the Dutch way. Possession using the three at the back. Echoes of Louis van Gaal with Blint. Um, and maybe that's an overstatement. Hitting them with the wing-backs. A couple of forwards up front with Malin and Depay. But his choice was to take off uh, Malin and bring mm-hmm. on... Uh, what was a promise? And, yeah, Quincy uh, Promise, yeah. Yeah, and then he seemed to stick with a kind of a 3-5 of the back kind of structure for a little while. I mean, he's been described as the worst manager in Premier League history by another arch-villain, uh, Jose Mourinho. What, what a sport, eh? I mean, you can watch other sports and they're all very polite and professional and stuff. We've taken the other route. We say interesting things about each other in our sport. Um <clears throat> How did you feel about the managing of the deficit once they went down, man? Which, again, a wonky order, but like the whole game changes around this red card and the choices made thereafter. Yeah, I really didn't expect him to bring on Quincy Promise, that's for sure. Um, I thought he would bring on Veghorst just to give them a bit of a target up front. And even for defensive set pieces, you know, he's a a big weapon in in both boxes. So I was really surprised... um, he didn't bring on Vegas. He horse. did eventually bring him on, right? He brought him on. He did. Yeah. 80 he did, minutes yeah. or something. But by then, I think there were two goals down. Yeah. Yeah, it was too late. And for me, in that moment, I think the Czechs kind of grew into it. I mean, I will say the Netherlands have been a really good watch. Yeah. Um, during the whole, the whole tournament, actually. I've, they've surprised me. I've really enjoyed watching them. But today, everything kind of seemed leggy and stiff. Yeah. And particularly Wijnaldum, I thought he just looked knackered. Um, and yeah. they gave him that sort of free role. They gave him the game. Willock role. <laughs> exactly. And he just, I think he was completely gassed, which is a shame because he'd been one of their best players. So for me, it was kind of an off day for everybody, apart from the the one-man machine, uh, Denzel Dumfries, who tried his best again to 
to do everything who, who he could. Guy? I've never really noticed him before this tournament, but now every time I see him, I'm like, ooh, he's he's very interesting. He's I mean, he's, he's better been around. Than he, yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's been around. Arsenal been linked with him a couple of times actually, but yeah. um, he's he's been at PSV for a little while now, and I'm sure someone will someone will pay for him off the back of this tournament. Yeah, he, he puts in the good crawls. He uh, he asks questions, uh, and he's always a factor. Um, Van Anhalt on the other wing, and that seemed to be the way of progressing. I guess they were okay. Like, they were the pr- protagonists in this match until the red card. But I think uh, the Czech Republic, which for me had very much uh, David Moyes vibes. Yes, it had a couple of his players, but it also had this playing it up the wings, uh, banging in really good crosses into dangerous areas while your big lads, who was a Schick, uh, mm-hmm. Barak, and uh, Suchek in particular, get it up into the box in numbers, kind of doing the Cahill, Fellaini kind of thing, and now his uh, Antonio uh, Suchek kind of thing. Of course, he's got Sufal over at uh, right wing, but it did kind of have West Ham vibes, a kind of a pragmatic approach, but they were causing them plenty of problems and maybe mm-hmm. creating the more dangerous chances even before the red card. And I thought they... Um, so I guess there's the discussion, how, how did you feel? they Because they're, they're going on and they're going to play, what, Denmark in the next round? So there's, they continue to be a factor. And I thought they, they're building in strength and confidence as they go along. So before the red card, how did you think they were doing? I mean, before the red card, I kind of felt like they were just doing what they'd been doing the whole tournament, which was being very compact, very solid. Um, I will give them a lot of praise, actually, because I think as a team, their structure is excellent. I think Mm -hmm. they're all excellently coached. There's nobody kind of flying out of position. They all know who their men are. They're all covering the right zones. I mean, today, uh, Holesh did an incredible job on Wijnaldum, really, really good job. you know, it's not easy to mark someone with so much energy and freedom, but he, he stuck to him like a rash. Um, and then all of a sudden you just see him pop up in the box a couple of times. It's just like, how do you yeah. still have the energy to do this, you know? And, and um, in fact, that's interesting because wasn't it uh, Halesh who took the ball off uh, Gigi Wijnaldum's toe for the goal and the cutback? Yes, it was indeed, yeah. And, you know, it was just a really good performance from all of them. I think they deserve a lot of credit for their defensive stability. I think in particular, Chelustka and Kalas have been really good at the back, so solid. Um, and obviously when they needed a touch of quality up front, Patrick mm. Schick was there to to put one in the back of the net. And then, you know, they're just a solid, solid team. And even if they might not possess some of the X factor that the others do, you know, when the you're stronger than the sum of your parts in international football. You can kind of go anywhere and, you know, they'll, they'll be very happy with their day's work today. Yeah. There was a strong emergent property from this lineup beyond the sum of their parts. Holesh, uh, isn't he the Slavia Prague guy we played against? Yeah, he is. In the Euros. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, like he's just a bit of a factor. And like you talked about the coaching, the management, the structure, like that's kind of what I mean with this. Do, do you see a kind of a David Moyesishness about them? The yeah, for sure, the, I can. Yeah. I can see that. Um, but you know, they're just kind of playing to their strengths, which is yeah. what you want, really, from any side. I mean, you don't, not every 
everybody has to be uh, 2011 Barcelona. You know, you yeah. just kind of take what you have and, and play to those strengths. So I've got no issue with that at all. And I think they've been quite refreshing, honestly. Very good. Um, so we were going to keep it short and tight. Um, mm-hmm. Any any major reflections for the next rounds in these ties? Who do you fancy at the moment between, say, Denmark, uh, Czech, the Czech Republic? I mean, for me, I've just sort of grown so fond of yeah. of Denmark and everything that they're doing. I mean, yeah, to, I, I was with you there to... till I heard about that guy and having his watch stolen and the watch being worth eighty k. So Goldberg, yeah. <laughs> it's um, funny how a small detail is like. Well, you got to do something with your money, but still, it takes yeah. you out of the kind of the. Uh, it spoils the narrative a little bit. They just said, should have just said his watch, which he really cared about, was stolen. Not, yeah. It, but anyway, yes, no, I'm with you. Uh, I'll, I'll manage to forget that before we watch them again. You, you can't get away from the Denmark story. It's, it seems like uh, they could be the, the team that gets, that just goes on a roll all the way. I mean, they look, they play really good football now, too. So They do. They do. Yeah. Uh, I would love them to go all the way because I think they're a really smart side. I mean, they did a small tactical change yesterday to keep Bale quiet after his after his good start. And I think they're just really intelligent. They've got a lot of good players. I think Mikhail Damsgaard in particular has been a, a real bright spark for them in in the absence of uh, Christian Eriksen. Uh, sorry, there's some like motorbike racing outside apparently if you can hear that you, come um, on admit it you, you're manscaping too <laughs> oh, that was supposed to be my line for afterwards oh, um, okay. my commission my commission uh yes yeah. <laughs> um so yeah i would really love them to to go through because i think they're, they're playing great stuff i really like a lot of their players and it's just an incredible story um after everything that's happened so i mean momentum is a hell of a drug as they as they say, maybe not PED kind of drug, but, you know, everything yeah. seems to be going their way. So, unfortunately for Wales, their journey ended uh, quite emphatically. Um, but I think in terms of maybe what most were expecting, I think to get out of the groups was was impressive enough for them. So Yeah, and on the day, I mean, of, you can't really argue with Denmark deserving it. No, not at all, not at all. And yeah. when you look back, back on tournaments... Um, you know the the Denmark story. You, you'd want, I, you know, do you want them to win the whole tournament? Well, I wouldn't go that far, but you want them to have a heck of a story that carries through it. That kind of is one of the defining threads. And so on we go to the next round. And look, um, it it could be uh, it, it's quite a nicely balanced tie in terms of the strength of the teams, Denmark and Czech Republic, and styles a little bit too, because Denmark do seem to be willing to take on the the role of possession and and going at the opponent and, and uh, play to that strength and the Czech Republic um, a little bit more reactive, more of a counter, kind of use the wings, bang in some crosses. I think it'll be a nicely balanced game and they might kind of play, play off each other quite well for a tie. So um, they'll both give it a, their all, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it could be a nice clash of styles. And again, it's another really interesting tie. I think um, we've been been really lucky actually throughout this tournament that we've had not a lot of 
a sort of dud games. Um, yeah. I've really enjoyed the whole thing. Yeah, same. So, uh, yeah, sets up two interesting ties. Um, I think we'll wrap it up there. I appreciate it, and we'll we'll have you back on tomorrow after a couple more good games tomorrow. Who we got coming up next? We got Spain, uh, Croatia, yep, okay. and France, Switzerland. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay, should be some yeah. good stuff. So, uh, we'll all hear you tomorrow, Phil. Appreciate it again. And, no, no, uh, my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, have a great one. Thanks, everybody. You Bye. too. Cheers. Bye.